The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our first scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And our second scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. All right, thank you, Duncan. Well, again, my name is Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs. It's good to have you all with us this morning. Um, if you are uh, new here, we've been in a series in the Ten Commandments. If you came this morning uh, with your parents, maybe to surprise them for some reason, it's Honor Your Father and Mother Sunday, so perfect, perfect timing. Um, I, I, so many of you know that I, I lost my father back in uh, November of last year uh, to complications from a heart surgery that he had, and uh, I've been thinking about him a lot lately. I have these uh, waves. If you've lost a parent, you probably have experienced things like this, where I just I have moments, I have days where I just feel his absence more uh, acutely, and I've uh, been thinking a lot about him uh, the, these, this past week in particular, just thinking about him a lot, and um, I miss him. Um, and uh, after he passed, we, my brother and I, went out to help my mom kind of sort through their house and um, some of his belongings and things like that, and I found that these boots that I'm wearing today uh, were his boots, and... Um, they're, they fit me perfectly, and we, we didn't have the same size shoe. And I know that he bought these boots. They didn't fit him. They were too small for him. Um, but I know he bought them because he, he got a good deal. Uh, he was one of those kind of guys where it was just too good of a He could never wear them, but it was too good of a deal to pass up. But they fit me perfectly. And so I wear them on a lot of Sundays when I'm, when I'm here. Um, but I was thinking about this command, which we're going to get into uh, today, but I had a I had a thing happen in college uh, that I that my something my dad did when I was in college that I, that was very formative for me. So my dad had a really difficult upbringing. I had a really difficult upbringing. Uh, tough relationship with his family, uh, with his parents. A lot of instability. A lot of a lot of growing up that he had to do um, much earlier than he should have had to do. And a lot of pain that went with that. And uh, a lot of um, just kind of emotional atrophy, I think, that, that, that's the kind of thing that happens when, you're, when you uh, are, are forced to have to grow up quickly. And uh, he, he, when I went off to college, he went through a season of his life where he started to reckon with that in a way that he never had before. Uh, in a way where, where it was kind of head on, he was, he was looking at the way that pain had shaped his life. And he called me 
uh, when I was in college. Just, just to, this isn't in my notes, so I'm kind of riffing right now. I'm, t- I'm telling you a story, and I'm feeling the emotions sort of bubble up. But he, he, he called me basically to say, to, to acknowledge that there were things about the way, about the, 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 his limited capacity to engage us on an emotional level when we were kids that he recognized. And he wanted to call and just name it. And I bring that up because when we talk about a command like this, honor your father and your mother, it's a complicated command, you know? It's a complicated command because we, we well, I'm just going to get into it. It's a complicated command. One of the reasons that it's so complex is because uh, of what lies beneath the surface of a command like this. And that is, you know, one of the things I've said throughout this series is the Lord, when he gives his people commands, they're never arbitrary. They're never because God is fickle and he just likes things a certain way and he wants us to just, you know, if, if we're going to be on his lawn, he wants us to be on it in a certain way. Uh, that's not how it works. That's not how God's commands are. His commands are always relational. They are all about how we relate to one another and how we relate to him. And so when we have a command like this, where he says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, He's not, it's not just a respect your parents, but he's giving us a framework for how to live in relationship with one another. Now, most of us, I think, have healthy enough relationships, relatively healthy relationships with our parents, um, but many of us don't. Uh, there are a lot of people who, who would not say that's the case. And I want to acknowledge from the beginning that if this is a command that touches a wound, you know, where you're feeling like, oh gosh, I don't know if this is going to be hard to hear. Here's what I want to humbly ask is um, let it touch that wound today. Come with me on this. Um, come with me. I, I, think, I think that you'll find that we treat this in a fair way. Uh, but, but let yourself feel those feelings because there's more to this command uh, than just a command to pretend like everything's okay. Because that's not what this is doing. This command is about parents and children, but the application reaches beyond that particular relationship. And it implies in no uncertain terms that our way of relating to one another, how we relate to one another, should be filled with respect. It should be filled with dignity, with love, with deference, with a commitment to the hope of reformation. And redemption. I, you know what the last verse of the Old Testament is? If you're a Bible nerd, you might know this. So the end of Malachi, the Lord tells his people, so the book of Malachi is, is the Lord saying, I have loved you. And his people saying, oh yeah, how? Because they're threadbare, they're beat up, they've been exiled, they've suffered, they've lost. 
And God doesn't really let us ask rhetorical questions. We can't just throw out a question, oh yeah, how have you loved me? What have you done for me lately? Without there being an answer. And the book of Malachi is the Lord answering that question. As he's saying, I kept you when you rebelled against me, when you were a stiff-necked people, when you rejected me. I didn't reject you. And it gets in detail about the ways. It's a hard book to read because it gets real specific about how they rejected him. But then the book takes a turn when you get to the third and fourth chapter where the Lord starts saying, I'm going to redeem all this. I'm going to redeem all this. And he talks about, you know, John the Baptist coming. He talks about sending Elijah and the healer will come with, with the eagle will rise with healing in his wings. And, and these things are happening in the book of Malachi. And then it ends with the Lord saying, and I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And it strikes me that that's the last verse of the Old Testament. Because I believe that there is no other human relationship that carries as deep a capacity for pain as the parent-child relationship. I can't think of one that carries a deeper capacity for pain. You could say marriage, but marriages end and people go on and it's extremely painful, but there's something formative and there's something unshakable about the ways that we grow up, that there are expectations that are inherent in the role of a parent that a child needs, right? A child needs parents to do things for them. They need them to do things that are essential for their life. And they need them to do things that they're not able to do for themselves. And so a child grows up expecting that a parent would fashion the world they're supposed to come up in. To teach and model how to live and who to be. And it's a holy role. And it's a sacred privilege. And but for the grace of God, it's an impossible task. Right? And so I know it's sacred ground to talk about the parent and the child relationship, not just as a sermon writer, but as a dad, as a father, and as a son. And I, I know that all of us in some measure fail in this relationship. We fail at being the parents we're called to be if we're parents. We fail at being the children we're called to be, which is all of us. But the gospel is the story of honor being given to dishonorable people. That's the story of the gospel. And so I want to venture into this together with that kind of setting the table for what we're going to talk about. The gospel is the story of honor being given to the dishonorable. Both of the texts that, that uh, Duncan read for us this morning come in the context where there's this expectation for all people in these relationships to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with their God. One doesn't. And what the writer says, what the Lord says, is he says living this way, it leads to something. It leads to long days in the land, which does not necessarily mean being old. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to live until you're in your hundreds. But what it does mean is that you will be fashioning in your community a relational health that will sustain the entire culture for generations to come. In other words, a culture that honors one another doesn't destroy itself. 
And so he says, if you honor your parents, children, it will lead to creating and cultivating a culture that won't cave in on itself. To Israel, the law was given to a nation that God claimed as his own. Every man, woman, and child he called his own. To the church in Ephesus, Paul had just finished calling them in the book of Ephesians to live in humble submission to one another. And so what that means is calling children to honor parents comes in a context. And it comes in the context that presumes that humility, repentance, and spiritual growth are in play for all parties involved. But we also have to remember that when God gave this command to his people, he knew perfectly well what was in their hearts and what's in ours. This incredible capacity that we have to wound one another, to betray one another. And what he's saying is when a people forsake honoring one another, disaster follows. And it's this quality of the human condition that makes this command complicated. And so I would just kind of put out the question for you. Are you somebody who is inclined to honor other people? It's a fair question. I don't think our culture right now values that a ton. I think we live in a takedown culture. We live in a cancel culture where there is zero margin for error before you can just get dismissed as somebody who might as well not even exist anymore. You know how, like, it's the year 2021. If we look back 20 years ago, what would that be, 2001? We would look back at 2001 and say, what were some things that we were doing in the year 2001 that we look back on now and we think, wow, we... We were trying to find our way, but we, we really botched that one. There are things that we're doing right now that in 20 years we will look back on and say, that was an embarrassing part of, of, of that, that era for us. And I think one of the things we will look back on is how quick we were to write one another off, um, how quick we were to demand penance with no hope of restoration. And I feel like that's a way to describe the cancel culture, is we demand penance with no hope of restoration. What does it look like to honor? Well, I want to walk through a couple of points very quickly. First, what is honor? Why don't we honor other people? What happens when we withhold honor? And then why is this command so important? So first, what is honor? It's pretty simple in some respects, but it's, it's this. To honor someone is to look at their life as something they don't need to justify to you. <laughs> that you can respect a person's worth and dignity and place simply because they are made in the image of God. The Hebrew word for honor literally means burden. And so this is the picture. The picture is I carry with me some of your dignity. That I carry with me some of your reputation. I respect you. I speak well of you to others when you're present and when you're not present. I see your life as something that God has ordained to exist and as something that he treasures. Even in those moments when I struggle to see it myself, 
right? That's what it means to honor. So why don't we extend honor to people? There's a lot of reasons for why we don't do this. Some are that we just, we live in a self-absorbed narcissistic culture where we're constantly trying to find our own worth based on how we compare to other people, which makes us very quick to try to find ways to minimize others to elevate ourselves. For some of us, we don't honor people because honor wasn't modeled for us. We don't know how to do it because we've grown in a culture, maybe we were even raised in a home where honor wasn't shown. Or maybe we don't honor other people because it's, it's too hard because of existing relational pain. Or maybe it's because I just believe myself to be more honorable than you. We have a lot of reasons for why we don't honor people, but what happens when we withhold it? See, because remember, the Lord said, honor your father and mother so that you will enjoy a long life in the land. Something happens when we withhold it. One of the things that happens when we withhold showing honor is we withhold the expectation of showing honor and respect from our children. So if my kids see me as somebody who dishonors others in our home, then I'm withholding from them an expectation of honor and respect. Another thing that happens when we withhold honor is we replace it with something else. We replace it with suspicion. We often replace it with contempt. And we move into a life of self-protection. And we end up taking on isolating habits that undermine the good, hard, long work of cultivating healthy relationships. And so you can see, when we withhold honor from one another, it's very, very costly. So why does this command matter so much? Well, there are obvious reasons for why the Lord would say, honor your father and mother, children. Chief among them being your parents brought you into the world, <laughs> right? Uh, they took up the responsibility of raising you. They provided for you. They disciplined you. They taught you how to live and how to be in the world. They're the people that God chose in his mysterious providence to be the ones who would tend to us like young, tender vines. And it's this hard, sacred, consuming responsibility being a parent. But there's more to it than that. As God's people, we've been given a name. We've been given a hope. We've been given a future. We have a family last name. My family last name is Ramsey. I'm a Ramsey. When my son Chris was growing up, I would ask him, He's 21 now. I would ask him when he was little, who are you? And the answer that I taught him to give me was I'm a Christian and a Ramsey man. Those, that was the answer. Who are you? I'm a Christian and a Ramsey man. I wanted him to understand that that meant something because he has a name. We have a name. I have a last name. You have a last name. But in Christ, more eternally binding than the last name we have in this world is the name that he gives, children of God, heirs with Christ. One day, the last name on your birth certificate will fade into eternity's glorious light, and the only name that you'll be known by will be one defined by the redemption and the restoration of all things. That before I'm a Ramsey man, I'm a Christian. And so what this command does 
is it protects a sacred call for all of us to contend for things that are part of the kingdom of God, to contend for peace, to contend for hope, to contend for love. It's a culture-shaping command that fights for us to love and to respect the dignity of others. It, it commands us to fight for selflessness and humility, marks of the kingdom of God, to be in play as part of the kingdom that we're experiencing now. In other words, this command is telling us, learn now how to live as a citizen of God's kingdom, which you will be part of for eternity. So what does it look like for us? And honoring what we're doing is we're contending for redemption to be a defining quality in our relationships here and now. As parents, we're called not to provoke our children or to ask them to, bury, uh, to carry burdens that they can't. And as children, we're called to contend for the blessing of our parents. We want their God-given role to be a joy and not a burden. And so we obey and we respect and we assume they possess wisdom and experience that we need. One of the challenges of this right now is our culture is so committed to individual identity to the point that I see it in kids, I see it in people my own, in my own generation, I see it in the generation above me where there's this gravitational pull to try to have this identity that's so individual and so distinct that it's no longer connected to anyone else that I'm an individual and I'm such an individual that you can't even tell that I belong to a family, that you can't even tell that I belong to a circle of friends, that I belong to a community, as though that's the goal, as though there's some sort of precious thing to attain in being so individual that we don't look like we connect to anyone at all. And the gospel sets us free from the misery of that kind of life where we're unconnected, and instead says, oh, you're connected. You're bound to one another. You're, you're, you're dear to the heart of God. You're loved. Now, a question, it's kind of an elephant in the room question in a message like this, in a topic, a discussion like this, uh, that's very fair and very valid, is, is this. What if... What if the way my parents treat our relationship, so you're coming from the child's perspective, what if the way my parents treat our relationship or even use this command is unhealthy, is sinful, is manipulative, is abusive? What do you do with a command like this when that's what's happening? Before I answer that, I do want to throw out a check, and that is this. While many occasions or relational dynamics with parents require that we oppose them, check yourself on this first. Are you talking about a mere difference of opinion or an old wound that you should have forgiven long ago and are holding it against your parents as a way to justify your rebellion against them? Or is there a real issue that needs to be guarded and protected? It's a fair question to ask because we can very easily write people off, our parents in particular, and say, I'm not going to honor them and respect them because we don't see things the same way. That's not a reason to withhold honor. If they're sinning against you, if they're relationally engaging you in a way that is destructive to both them and you, then okay. 
But if it's just we don't see eye to eye, therefore they're not worthy of my respect, that's not true. So humbly check motives before you apply what I'm about to say now. (laughs) And that is this. Sometimes obeying God means we have to oppose our parents. And that is if they demand that we relate to them in ways that are evil or are working against our relational and spiritual growth. There are times when, like in an abusive situation, where we must oppose. And I would say this is in its own way a form of honor. And what I mean by that is this. You're saying when you do this, I will not let our relationship be defined by or filled with destructive patterns of relating. I honor you by contending for you to relate to me as God intended, as someone committed to my growth in faith, as someone committed to my holiness. And so I will oppose, and I have to oppose, and I must oppose, attempts to undermine my spiritual or relational health. In those cases, we we have to, uh, honor looks like opposition. But again, be careful that you're not using that as an excuse for arrogance. And that works with parents too. Sometimes you have to thwart your children's attempts to manipulate you. And they will become exasperated. And yet, it's the fight we have to fight. It's a fight worth fighting. We honor our parents in a way that recognizes the redeeming works that God has done in our lives and through that relationship. And so let the honor and the dignity of others be part of what we spend our lives contending for. That I will spend my life contending for the honor and dignity of others. If you're a child, that means with your parents. If you're a parent, that means with your children. We could spend our entire lives self-protecting. We could spend our entire lives keeping a record of wrongs, absorbing the color and the scent of bitterness and resentment so that it just flows over into every relationship we've got. We can become hard. But because Christ has died and because Christ has risen, breaking the power of sin and death over us, bitterness and resentment are not our future. They're not. Remember, honoring the Ten Commandments now is practicing to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God forever. And the gospel breaks bitterness and resentment. The promise of redemption tells us that envy and bitterness and malice and hatred and abuse and shame and fear, those powers will be broken forever. They'll be trampled in the dust of the coming and eternal kingdom of God. And so our hope then is to wrap our arms around the scandalous, beautiful truth that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Honor was given to the dishonorable for the sake of restoring wayward children to their heavenly father. And so God calls us then to step into that one relationship with the greatest capacity for pain. And he tells us to contend for one another's honor and dignity and spiritual well-being, believing that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Let me pray. 
Father, I thank you that your word speaks to things with clarity that our culture wants to avoid and that you give us direction and that you give us wisdom for how to live in a world that is broken. Father, give us a desire to engage your word with humility. In those places, Lord, for those in this room who what honor looks like involves resisting. For those who are in a place where relationships are so broken and unhealthy, and even in some cases maybe dangerous, that you would give wisdom and strength beyond uh, what we feel we can muster on our own. And for those of us who may use a feeling of unhealth as an excuse to justify our own pride and desire to separate ourselves from parents or children who may not be perfect but are not actively sinning against us and preventing us from knowing you, that you would give us a softening, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that you would do what you say at the end of Malachi, that you would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That we would become people who have a desire and an appetite to honor one another, to show honor, if for no other reason that those who are around us are made in your image, and that makes them worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. And Lord, in the process of doing that, we do pray that you would expose evil as evil, uh, that things done in darkness would be brought to light, uh, and that your healing and redemption would 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 minister to the hearts of those who have been sinned against. It's a complicated command, Lord, and yet you call us to live in such a way that we contend for the well-being and the dignity and the honor of one another. So help us to know how to do that with all the grace that your son affords. It's in his name we pray. Amen.